Welcome to Take a Good Look at Yourself, Steps 4 and 5, uh, Ask It Basket Workshop. My name is Bill. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator, moderator for this meeting. Please join, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I stand and the decision to know the difference. <clears throat> Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic devices be turned off. To protect our anonymity, please, no photography or visual recordings are allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An Ask It Basket is being uh, circulated for questions and answers portion of this meeting. Has anybody seen the Ask It Basket? Oh. Okay. Yeah, can you just keep, keep that going around? <laughs> this meeting is being taped. If you enjoy this workshop, we enjoy, we encourage you to stop by the tape table and order copies of this workshop or any other meeting. They are available on CD or as an electronic download. Okay, first of all, I'd like to introduce uh, Lauren and she will, we'll share for Lauren. I'm Lauren, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. How's that? Good? Okay. Really? How's that? Better? Good? Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? Okay, how's that? <laughs> Maybe a little too much. Um, my, my, my voice can go uh, to two different ways. We can have calm, thoughtful, uh, deeper voice Lauren, or we can have Minnie Mouse on crack, really excited Lauren. So we'll probably, <laughs> for recording purposes, I'll try to uh, keep, it, keep it a little lower. So, um, hi. Um, I'm happy to be here to be of service. I um, am super, 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 super nervous. Um, and... Uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I have been in program almost um, almost six years. I've been abstinent um, for that time. And I'm down about um, 80 pounds from when I first came into program. And, um, oh, thanks. Um, and, uh, and I'm a lot healthier, uh, happier, hopefully more well-adjusted and uh, moving towards more well-adjustment every day type of person than I used to be. Um, I uh, I live in L.A. right now, and um, I'm from Albany, New York. I always like to know where people are from, especially if they're from uh, far away. So um, that's uh, that's kind of uh, that's kind of about me. I've been through um, I've been through all 12 steps um, two times, um, and uh, I'm I'm kind of going to talk about my uh, mostly you know my first go around with with four and five. Um, which, uh, character defects, it's, 
I'll tell you what was happening in my head about um, 45 minutes ago. Um, when I was sitting here listening to our two wonderful speakers from this morning, um, I uh, one of them mentioned uh, she had the OA 12 and 12 right here, and then she was going to refer to it. So and, and she went to thumb through it, and I thought to myself, Oh my gosh, I've been so nervous about this. I didn't know what I was going to say. wasn't sure how I was going to plan out what I was going to say. That reminds me, my papers right there. <laughs> Just for security reasons. Um, and uh, and I thought to myself, it did not once occur to me to reread four and five in the twelve and twelve. And my first thought was, um, you see that you, you you don't know how to ask for help. Um, that that that's that's like a character defect. And I and I wanted to laugh out loud. And then I thought to myself. And you know what? That's your ego, thinking that you thinking that you can do it on your own. And then I wanted to cry. Um, and then um, I thought to myself, perfection, perfectionism. Look at you. You're you're beating yourself up for not um, for not preparing, you know, correctly for um, speaking this morning. So even just sitting here, I went through a whole range of uh, character defects um, to um, to speak. So, um, so just to tell you a little bit um, about how I went about, how my sponsor and I went through um, the fourth step, I um, I was pretty I was I was pretty willing to do it. Um, I uh, at that at that point in my recovery, I um, I was moving through the steps. I just wanted to um, I wanted to recover. Um, I wanted to be the best I could be. I was um, I was very willing to just do what my sponsor asked me to do. So I just uh, I I just said okay, I'm going to do it. Um, I uh, of course I uh, worried about doing it wrong. I wanted to do it perfectly. I called my sponsor a bunch of times and said I don't think I'm doing it right. Listen to a few examples. She said if you think you're not doing it right, you're probably doing it just right. I said, okay, fine, I'll just keep going, um, and uh, and I just started. And I guess kind of as, as an overview, uh, one of the things I guess I'm realizing that for me, what's so challenging about the fourth step in general is that it really challenges you to be um, both a thinker and a feeler. You you have to. Um, you have to be in touch with both of those things at the same time, um, which I which I think is hard. I mean, I I am much more of a thinker than a feeler, and what I mean is um, that I think this exercise is like that: is that you start out with um, oh, and also just to tell you the way I did it with my sponsor was the way in the big book with the, with the columns. So um, who is who do I have a resentment towards? Uh, what did they do? Um, what does it affect? Um, what was my part? And um, and then and then my fifth column of um, now that I'm living a spiritual life, what what could I do differently? So um, so really, what I'm talking about with the thinking and the feeling is, um, you know, you have to think of think of a person, um, and then you need to think about specifically. I guess you know you focus on one thing. What did they? Um, what did they do that you resent? And then, 
you're going to feel about it. Because obviously, if it's a resentment, you're going to have feelings about it. So here's what this person did. I'm going to write about it in detail. And, oh, man, grr, this person, they did this to me. There's the, uh, there's the, the feeling part of that. Then you, um, then you need to uh, think again. Uh, where, what does this affect? And you know what? That's how much of a, uh, more of a thinker I am than a feeler. It's really not thinking about what the feelings are, figuring out what the feelings are. What did they, um, what things did they affect? My relationship to them, my self-esteem, my sexual relations, my, my fears. Um, then you get to, uh, what's my part? And that is, um, that's a thinking job, you know, really thinking about yourself. And um, the first time you go through it, um, it's really, uh, it's hard. You're not sure, uh, I guess I'm speaking now as if uh, people haven't done the fourth step yet. But for me, um, it was really hard to, how am I supposed to do it? Am I supposed to um, actually come up with a character defect? What exactly, what exactly is the definition of my, of my part? Um, and that was one of the places where I just needed to really, really kind of let go and um, be okay with writing down whatever came to me and trusting that um, when it got time to talk to my sponsor about it, that um, that we would work it out. And I didn't have to be um, ashamed of what I wrote and that she would help me figure it out. Um, Then it got to the part where uh, now that um, now that I'm leading a spiritual life, what would I do? Um, and uh, that was another um, exercise in um, trusting that whatever um, I was going to write was going to um, was going to be okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to the fifth step for um from for a little bit. Um and I should have uh, said what they were. Um four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves and five um admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Um so for step number five, um what it really was for me was um it was a great learning experience in how um it's okay to honestly and openly and without judgment look at your own shortcomings and not that you're beating yourself up and not it's like you're gossiping about yourself or um, or just bringing things up to make you feel bad about yourself so you can beat yourself up some more, but really for the purpose of um, trying to make your life better. Um, one of the really great things that I learned from turning my fifth step over to my sponsor was that it's okay to listen to um, it's okay to listen to what other people have to say about you and to um, and to not get defensive. And sometimes I have to tell myself that, and I carry that skill now into lots of places. I just did it at work the other day, where my boss was telling me, uh, "Oh, she was aggravating me." And um, she was talking, and I didn't want to listen. And I just thought, you know what? It's okay. You, um, whatever she has to say, maybe there's something in there. Just listen. Just listen to what she has to say. So, um, so I did, and that's what um, I did with. Um, that's what I did with my sponsor with step five. 
um, was being willing to hear whatever she had to say about my own um, um, about my own uh, reactions to the things that I had written about in my in my fourth step and whatever character defects. Um, some of the things that uh, that came up, um, uh, like I said, perfectionism, um, people pleasing, uh, ego, not trusting God. Um, Yes, not having faith, fear of scarcity, that's a big one. Um, and here's the best thing, here's one of the best things for me is um, I, I can see these things improving in my life, and I just, I just love it. Um, and even the smallest, smallest things, like, like if I'm, like if I'm in the, like if I'm in a meeting, and um, a regular, like a regular work meeting, any meeting, any meeting, if I'm anywhere and I have to go to the bathroom, I will get up and I will do it because in the past I didn't want to disturb anybody or disturb anything or draw any attention to myself. I see it as a people-pleasing thing as where I didn't want to be disruptive at all. Even the tiniest, tiniest things, I, I, I take pleasure in knowing that I, um, I'm better at those things now than I used to be. Um, I, uh, another thing that I learned from getting over my five, um, uh, my fifth step to my sponsor is that um, it was a good exercise in learning about uh, my boundaries and um, knowing when it's okay to uh, speak up for myself because um, sometimes if she is, or this is uh, when I when I um, when I did this the first time uh, with my first sponsor, but um, if she was giving me feedback that I um, didn't agree with or um, yeah, if she was giving me feedback that I didn't agree with, and I had already agreed, uh, I had already, you know, made a deal with myself that I was going to listen to, you know, whatever was being said and try to, um, you know, really embrace it. Um, I, uh, if it didn't apply to me, I had the option of even saying so when when she was done, and not just pretending like like I agreed. I don't know why. To me, it seems like a big deal to just even kind of speak up, and um, and even if I'm not agreeing with someone, to to just kind of say it, and not for any reason other than I, it's okay. My opinions are okay. What I think is okay, and to be able to do those things, um, you know, in a calm, rational, um, just for the sake of it kind of way. I'm the kind of person who thinks that. I don't like to get angry at people. I don't like people to get angry at me, no way. Because um, I'm afraid they won't love me anymore. Um, and uh, it's, a cra it's a crazy, crazy lesson to try and learn that um, people who love each other and even like each other can get mad at each other and um, still love each other and still like each other and still want to hang out together. I'm still learning that, even now. Um, so... Uh, so being able to sit there with the fifth step with another human being and talk about the things that you don't like about yourself and that you're ashamed of, um, even though some of those, you know, some of those things have nothing to do with things that you've done. If people in your past, if you're writing, if you're doing your fourth step and um, someone does something to you that you find um, really embarrassing, even though it's not your fault, it's hard to share that with another person. Um, 
I can tell you. Um, I'm just hoping yes, no. All right. Um, only because I'm nervous. Um, so uh, here's one. I had a close family member who um, we were away. Um, I was at my second heaviest weight. Um, this is kind of funny. I was thinking about this last night. I was thinking about, should I do an example? Yeah, it'll be more fun. Um, and, uh, and I didn't go through it. I don't, I don't remember ever putting this on my fourth step. I don't remember doing uh, a tenth step on it. So in a way, I'm kind of going to do it here. Um, I started to go through it in my head, and then I just felt like, I'm not sure what the character defects are. Um, uh, so I'm not going to do that now. I'm going to do it. So close family member. We were somewhere. I was at my second highest weight, and um, I was. Uh, we were. Um, uh, we were all dressed up to go to dinner, and uh, we got into an elevator. And um, someone that my family member. We were like at a convention. It was a, a convention. My family member's convention, and I was along for the ride in a foreign country. And um, and a uh, colleague of my family member uh, came into the elevator and said, you know, hello to the family member and then said, you know, said hello to me, nice to meet you, don't you look nice because we were dressed up for dinner. And my family member said to this person, um, um, oh, you don't have to say that. And, um, yeah, oh, so horrible. Um, really so, so horrible. And I keep saying family member because, um, oh my gosh, I love this family member so much. And, um, you know, things are, things are very different. And, um, this person has, has their own, has their own issues. Obviously, it doesn't have to do with me. Um, so that's why I kind of don't want to, you know, say exactly who it is. Um, but, uh, so yeah, okay. So you don't have to say that. That is what this person said to, um, to this man who had just, you know, said to me, you look nice. Um, okay, so there's my resentment, um, what that person did. Uh, you know what? I still resent it. I'm going to have to talk to my sponsor about that. Um, so uh, what does it affect? Affects my uh, self-esteem, do you think? Um, my relationship with that person and um, my sexual relations only because, you know, if I feel bad about the way I look, it's going to affect that. Um, okay, so... What's my part? This is where I got stuck when I was thinking about this last night. As just for participatory, I would say, call it out if you feel like you know what my character defects are. But, um, <laughs> but, um, so, uh, yeah, so, um, oh gosh, caring about, uh, caring about what other people think. Um, wow. See, I knew I should have thought this through more last night before I just stood here and said, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. So we'll be good to work through. Um, someone saying to me that, um, or no, someone, saying, someone pretty much insulting me, someone I love pretty much insulting me to another person in front of me. What is my part? Um, I guess I need to know that, uh, that they, have their own, uh, they, have their own, they have their own issues and they still love me. And uh, kind of separating, uh, separating out what what their issues are from me. I guess also maybe you know what? Did I ever address it with that person? I don't know that I ever have. Um, maybe that's also a lesson in just um, 
stating my case, and, and obviously in a program way. Um, I will also talk to my sponsor about how I'll do that, but um, I definitely think it's worth uh, definitely worth bringing up um, to kind of uh, to to to, bear, to to put it to bed. Um, but uh, all right, well, what can I do? Uh, what can I do now that I uh, you know leading a more spiritual life? What could I do about that? If that if that happened to me now, what would I do? I would. Um, Here's what I would do. Try not to take it personally. I would probably not deal with it right away because I wouldn't be able to do it in any sort of calm, rational, thoughtful, program-type manner. Um, I would certainly talk to my sponsor and or any other fellows to decide how to handle it, but I think um, at a reasonable time I would need to, you know, go to that person, make sure we've both got the time and mind set to uh, have a short discussion about how, hey, what you said um, hurt my feelings, and it's okay, but I just wanted to let you know. So, um, okay, yay, thanks, everybody. Oh, talk me through that. <laughs> I will, uh, I will, <laughs> I will deal with that, um, and God will, uh, and God will help me um, do that. So, um, so look at that. That's hard. That's hard work, and um, that was just one. And if you think about doing the fourth step and sitting down with your notebook and um, writing down, you know, every single person and every single resentment, it's, um, you know, it's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. And, um, you know, the, you know, one day at a time certainly applies. One, one person, one resentment at a time. Um, just do it. I remember when I did it, I was, every time I sat down and did it afterwards, I was just exhausted. I was so tired. Um, it's just so draining. And it's funny of the things that you remember while you're doing it. Um, I, uh, thank you. I felt, I guess I felt like I needed some, uh, sun and fresh air. I remember, I don't have a balcony. I wish I did. I remember dragging my, uh, I have this, um, not as tacky as it sounds. It's awesome. It's a blue leather recliner. And I um, I dragged it outside my front door and um, I sat in it in the sun and, and, and was writing my uh, was writing my fourth step. Um, just to, that's the only time I've ever done that. Um, just to kind of show you, A, you want comfort. You know, you want to be comforted while you're doing such a, you know, such a heroic effort um, of, of looking at yourself. Um, Here's some of the here's some of the good news about it. Uh, like I said earlier, whenever I see things that I am doing quote better, um, I'm so happy about it. Um, and um, and you know I can't force myself. This is you know six and seven. I can't force myself to be better about my character defects. I can only ask God to help me with them. Um, and I've definitely found out that. Um, I never know when revelations from God are going to hit. They just do. All I, all I can do is keep um, keep working, keep working the program to uh, make it happen. Because obviously, because uh, there, there's an absolute correlation between how much I'm working my program and um, how many insights from from God that I get. It's no question. I wish I remembered that more. If only I were perfect, um, I could be so much better. Um, also, I, I, I do want to say that after, I know some people, after they've given their, they, they've done their fifth step, they've given away their fourth step, um, they, they, they have an aha moment, they, they, they feel 
like the weight of the world has been lifted and all sorts of wonderful things. I did not have that. It was, it was, but uh, still, uh, still remarkable. Um, and thing uh, I definitely wanted to say. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm going to say that uh I'm going to say that's it. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Lauren. Uh at this time I'd like to uh introduce Molly. Come on up. Let's hear from Molly. Hi, my name is Molly. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and I'm going to pass around some pictures. So, let's see. I'll tell a little bit about my story. I came into OA in, uh, well, actually the first time in 1998, and I didn't stay. And I didn't come back for good until 1996. So there was an eight-year period where I would come to the program maybe for two or three weeks and then I would leave for three years and then I would come back and three weeks. I could never stay more than three weeks. And so in 1996, I had, um, I was in another program where I actually went and stayed. So I had the experience of actually staying in a program, but I could never seem to get past steps one, two, and three. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do the fourth step in that program. And, um, but through that program, I had this idea for, about going back to school and studying something that I could actually get a job doing. Because my other, I, I had gone to school before, but I didn't study anything that was very practical, you know, or that I could use in the world to make money. And I was not good at making money at all. You know, I could get good grades in school, but I was just, sort of failing at just practical life things, like getting a job that paid me enough to to live. So I had this idea that there was something really practical that I would probably be good at. And I took the risk, and I did the work I needed to to go back to school. And within about a month, I realized that I was not going to make it through school if I didn't do something about my eating. And for the very first time in 1996, I had something that I wanted more than the food, and that had never happened before. And I remember sitting um, and listening to somebody um, in my other program talk about how he didn't really want to go to that program, but his life just made, you know, he just, his life just took off, you know, and he didn't want to go there either. And I thought, well, I have never really wanted to go to OA. But if that guy could do something that he didn't want to do and his life got better, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do that? I mean, it seems pretty silly. So I thought, well, I'm going to go back. So I had all these rules around going to OA. I didn't want to go to a meeting in a neighborhood where I had had a falling out with anybody because God forbid I should run into them. So I was isolating from different parts. I lived in San Francisco, and I was isolating from those parts. I just would never go to those parts. 
and you know I would never go to Marin County. I was, I, you know, I was avoiding like all of Marin County, and any time I drove to Marin County and crossed the bridge, I just got tense. So there was all these parts of the city where I would get tense. You know, I didn't want to just run into somebody, be it an old roommate or an old worker, you know, coworker or whatever. And then I didn't really want to hear about food because I didn't really want to admit I was a compulsive eater, but I wanted relief, but I didn't. So I was very conflicted about the whole thing. And so it's funny that the title of this thing is Take a Good Look at Yourself. That was hardly what I could do. I did everything not to take a good look at myself. I avoided mirrors. You know, I avoided scales. I wasn't a compulsive eater that weighed herself very often. I would I would spend years not weighing myself and then get totally shocked when I stepped on the scale and it, you know, and it said a weight that, how did I get there? I had no idea. I was so not aware. And then I was aware. So it was that whole, you know, you know, it's everything to do with denial. But anyway, so I said, well, okay. So I found a meeting to go to. And then I saw somebody that I knew there. And I was kind of surprised by that because I never knew that that, prob- that person had a problem with food. And I, anyway, this person told me about a meeting uh, that worked in my time frame. And it was close to a neighborhood I was avoiding, but I rationalized that I could still go there because the person that I was avoiding never got up at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. I knew that, so I knew I'd probably be safe. So, and the meeting was a step-study meeting, and that was great because people at step-study meetings don't talk about food that much, and, you know, you focus on the book. And I felt like, well, I can focus on the book. And so, you know, amidst, like, what my disease does to me, I found a meeting that worked. And... I didn't have a car, and it was 9 a.m. meeting on a Saturday morning, and I had to take two buses to get there, but I did that. I took the two buses. Actually, it was, it was a bus, and then a train, and then a bus. And uh, even though, and, and afterward, I didn't take the last bus because I could actually, I mean, it took about 20 minutes or a half hour, but I could walk. And downhill, by the way, I, don't, I didn't, never walked uphill. You'd never catch me walking up the Van Ness Avenue to that meeting, but I could walk down, you know. So, you know, that's how I spent my Saturday morning. I, I had to catch that bus at, um, I actually had to catch that bus to get to that meeting at quarter after seven, or I wouldn't get there. If I caught, like, the 7.45 one, sometimes I get there at 9.30 and miss the whole meeting. So, anyway, that's what my early recovery was. So I rolled back into OA, um, and I was, okay, the, the final thing, I was really afraid I was going to go for three weeks and quit. And so I signed up for two-year subscription to Lifeline magazine on, at my second meeting because I felt like if I quit the meeting, then the Lifeline would keep coming to me, and I'd have this little, what they say, a Lifeline. Um, and then I told somebody at that second meeting that I was really afraid I wasn't going to come back after the third meeting, and what, what should I do about that? And she said, well, it's easy. She said, just come back to the fourth meeting. And, you know, it's so simple, right? Just come to the fourth. You're afraid you're not going to come? You know, but but for me, it was this drop-off where, you know, I, I could only think three weeks or forever, and I couldn't handle forever, you know. And so I thought, well, I can handle four. You know, that's just on one hand, four. So anyway, that's how I began my recovery. That's when I feel my recovery started. And when I rolled into OA that time, I rolled in at the very end of March, and we were doing a step study meeting. And so we studied a step a month. So I got there the week before we started into the fourth step. And I have to say, I don't remember really anything anybody said about the fourth step, but I just remember just thinking, I just kind of knew that time was up. You know, I knew that I was really coming to OA because I was in another program and I couldn't do a fourth step. I knew I had to quit eating 
to even have the force, have have the hope of doing something to look at myself. And so that's that's how I began. Um, so then I had this great idea. Like I didn't want to get a sponsor right away because I didn't really want anybody telling me what to do. It was too threatening. So I thought I'm going to figure out abstinence a little bit on my own and try it out for a while, and then I'll uh, then I'll get a sponsor. So I did that. I got abstinent in June, and then by November I thought, well, I really need a sponsor. And so of course, you know, I'm really afraid to look at myself. You know, I just I'm terrified. So I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I go to a step study meeting. So in January, we do the first step. February, we do the second step. March, we do the third step. And I said, I'm just going to do a step a month, and I'm going to keep up with this meeting. Like I needed, like I needed that momentum. And I got a sponsor in November, and I thought, well, that's great. You know, I have like a month and a half head start there. Get to know her before we launch into step one. No. I mean, no. <laughs> so... You know, I was very afraid to ask somebody, but luckily somebody raised their hand. And so it was like an invitation to ask them. And I guess she had what I wanted. I mean, she was thin and beautiful, so who wouldn't want that? But I had actually no hope of getting to that. So that's not really why I asked her. But what I really felt about her to be true was that she would be somebody that would just work the steps with me, that she knew how to do it. And it was going to be a purely business relationship. I don't want any emotional involvement. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it, because I'm a good student, and I want to get better, but I don't want to know you that much. You know, that's how I approached it. And she was good for that, you know. I don't think she wanted much involvement either, but she knew how to do the steps. And so I asked her in November, and I remember the day I asked her, it was that Saturday morning, and she said, oh, by the way, I'm taking a trip to the Middle East for three weeks. So what I want you to do while I'm gone is write your whole food history, and then when I come back, you'll read that to me. And I remember just, I wanted to say, but it's not January yet. <laughs> you know, that's when we're doing step one. I don't know if you know about my plan, but it's not January yet. And I thought to myself, and by the way, I don't write. I was very ashamed about my writing. I had a professor in college ask me if English was my first language because my writing was so horrible. And I had been so ashamed and tried to work on it so much. And, you know, I'm... I'm not an English major. I'm just a bad writer. It's okay. You know, I understand math. I just don't understand, you know, English, which is basically the math of language. Whatever. I've forgiven myself, but it took me a long time. So I, and I wanted to raise my hand and say, but I don't write. And I thought it was the fourth step that we start writing. And she said, no, we're going to start writing right now. I was like, okay. So that's how I approached the steps. You know, I had somebody that just told me what to do. And frankly, I was too afraid to say I don't want to do it. But it's all that, so, you know, that might be a defect for me today, but then it was an asset. It got me, got me going. Okay. So anyway, I came in, and, uh, and so I started, and I did step one and two and three, and then it became the fourth step. And I am a person that, you know, there's a lot of tools for a fourth step. I mean, a lot of people use the big book way, but some people use the workbook. Some people use the OA 12 and 12 and answer these questions. It took me many, many years in recovery to actually be able to answer a question more than yes and no, really be able to write something that had some depth to it. I wasn't, like, I was, I was so afraid to delve into anything that all, I couldn't do writing like that. So anyway, we decided, and well, she decided, we're just going to do a big book way. You know, it's easy. They tell you right here on page 64, starting there, what to do. 
And uh, I was actually pretty offended at this. You know, it talk, you know, first he talks about, well, an inventory is no big deal. They do inventories at stores all the time. I mean, they just look on the shelves and see what's missing. And I thought, but I'm not a store. I'm not a store. You know, there's something, there's something that you can step away from and say, well, you know, we're in a grocery store. We might need more ketchup and less mustard or whatever. But I couldn't do that with my own life. It was so threatening. But I got over that. I'm like, whatever. I'm not here to agree or disagree with this book. I'm just here to do it. And she had this great phrase. She just said, Molly, you're really smart, but I'm going to tell you something. Do not analyze, only utilize. She said, we don't need to know why it works. It just works. Just do it. So I said, okay. So in this book, it tells you how to do it pretty much. And it gives you these three columns. And I laughed, I actually laughed when I read these things because it says, I'm resentful at Mr. Brown, the cause, his attention to my wife. He told my wife of my mistress. I remember when I first read that, I thought, wow, you got some problems, buddy. <laughs> you know? And then it says, like, affects my sex relations, self-esteem. Everything for him came down to sex relations and self-esteem. But you actually get, you know, well, there was fear, but, you know, he brackets fear, because fear is underlying all of this. I, it took me many years, actually, in recovery to understand how fear underlies all of this. I didn't, it's, I think it's really only today that I'm really starting to realize, I mean, on a much deeper level, about, you know, the, the havoc that fear can play. But, um... But anyway, so it does give you some choices. It gives you like seven of them. And, and I know I've had people that I've worked with that constantly argue about those choices, but I don't want to, those words don't make sense to me. So it's self-esteem, security, ambition, personal, sex relations. I know, they're not very descriptive. But again, when I first did it, I'm like, I'm not going to argue, I'm just going to choose. Like, I don't have to figure all this out. I don't have to change it. I don't have to try to, I don't know, whatever. I'm just going to pick one. Big deal. So, but what this book doesn't tell you is everybody, I had heard everybody in these meetings talk about the fourth column, but it doesn't have a fourth column. It only has three. And I felt a little gypped, actually, by this book because it didn't talk about the fourth column. And I really like to know the whole system before I begin. Again, it's like, like it's this analyzing and utilizing. So, I, didn't, I don't think I consulted with my sponsor, but I decided... I think my fourth comp, what I quickly saw was if I have a resentment, then I usually, it causes me to act some way that I don't want to act. You know, like I, my resentments are always active. They're never very passive. And so what's my part in it? I mean, that seemed very blaming to me. And my whole thing when I came in here was I'm the victim. I'm the one that's been hurt. I've been unbelievably hurt. And that's true. I was unbelievably hurt. Um, so I had to change it to say, well, but I'm turning these things into actions, and what actions am I turning them into? And then the other thing, too, is I felt very, very guilty about even putting anybody on the paper, you know, even, like, naming these things. So I added um, a column of my own. So I added a fifth column. It was called Good Things. I actually had to write something good about the person before I could do the four columns. You know, I had to say acknowledge in some way something good. It took away my guilt for then saying how I really felt, which is something I couldn't do. I could never say how I really felt. So this is an opportunity to do that. And then the other thing my sponsor made me do, she had me, had me add a sixth column called I had to write an asset about myself. And that was actually harder than just writing the resentment. 
So anyway, um, I brought my first book, because I always think it's nice to see, you know, the work that people do. Because what you hear a lot of people say, well, I do this, I do that, but you never, ever see it. All right, so this is what it looks like. So I had to use this kind of notebook, because it was hardback and it would last a long time. I had to use a specific pen, because that's what I have to do, you know? How much time do I have? Oh, 10 minutes, okay. So I had to use a ruler to draw the columns, so I did all of that. So I had to actually write all this on a piece of paper first and kind of work it out and then carefully write it in the book so it was neat and clean. And now it kind of looks shabby and yellowing, but whatever. That was, you know, you know, this was in 1997 when I wrote this. So that's what it looked like. And uh, there weren't, you know, when I look through now, I mean, there's not that many pages. And that was the thing that I really got out of the fourth step. You know, there's a start and an end. You know, I, I could never look at myself enough to know that there's actually a start and an end to my grief, or there's a start and an end to my unhappiness. It just seemed like if I burrowed, if I even lifted the cover off the box, it, I would just be going forever and ever and ever, and it wasn't true. It just wasn't true. So anyway, so I did all of that, and uh, I had a sponsor that really believed that you should do things quickly. You know, Dr. Bob, or, you know, Dr. Bob did the whole thing in a week. You know, or so they say, you read the early AA literature, you know, it's like on Monday you got sober, um, by Friday was making amends, driving around Akron, Ohio, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, you're, she's, she's like, you know, you're not going to stay on this thing for years and years and years. You're going to get it done. So I thought, great, I want to get it done because I'm on this plan, right? I'm going to get the whole, all the steps done by December, you know, of 1997. <laughs> you know, like, because I really felt like I'm either going to go forward or I'm not going to go at all. And I was just going to do what it took to go forward. So I'm glad about that. So anyway, I, I didn't have a lot of time to get, like, burrowed into it. I mean, I just wrote it all out. In fact, I even told her, because she kept saying, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? And then I told her, I said, hey, I'm done. And I wasn't. I actually lied to her. Because I knew I only had about a week left, so I knew that once I set the date with her, I could just write the whole thing out, and then I'd be ready. So I set the date before I was finished, and I, you know, that's how I do things at times. So good for me. But anyway, so then, you know, <laughs> you know I finished the whole thing up. And then she said, oh, no, you have to write, you have to write your fears and your secrets. And I was like, oh. So... I do. I have, like, I just have some paragraphs, my fears and my secrets. And these things were top secret, and these fears I would never have uttered to anybody. And today I'm looking at this, and they really don't hold any power over me. And, in fact, I could probably go up on top of this hotel with a bullhorn and, like, read to all of San Mateo what these things were. I mean, but, but it, they were things that kept me in bondage. I mean, complete bondage that I was going to take to my grave, that I was never, ever going to tell anybody about. And they're not even that big of a deal. In fact, I'm looking through it. One of them I wrote, I was so afraid to say this, and I was just talking about some of this with somebody this morning. I said, right here, I don't want to have kids. That seemed so blasphemous then when I was 31, but I didn't. Or I hit my best friend in the second grade, you know? I don't like that about myself. Um, I said I could, I could be jealous. You know, I, never, I would never admit I was a jealous person, but I was. I was incredibly jealous. Um, oh, here's one that comes up over and over and over again. In fact, I just read this one to my sponsor this fall. I'm afraid to ask people for references. 
Now, I've been in this program for 14 years. I've done a great job at my work ever since I got abstinent. Um, I'm still afraid to ask people for references. In fact, I'm going through a layoff right now where it became critical for me to ask for references, and it was a very interesting process because I started asking people, and I had conversations with at least 10 people, and they all were really happy to give me a reference. So, you know, a lot of these fears are just in my mind. And, but, so that one, you know, I don't know. That might never, never leave me. But, but I couldn't even do it then. And now it's like, okay, I can acknowledge I have the fear and do it anyway. And that's the difference. Um, so anyway, I wrote all this stuff out. And then she arranged a time um, that I would come over and read this to her. And I did. I started at, I don't know, 11 in the morning, and we went to 3 in the afternoon, and the whole thing was done. And I left, I remember leaving her apartment feeling very differently. And I was a person that, and I still am, that doesn't have, I can kind of, I can, I don't have as much energy as other people. But somehow on that day, after I read that, I had this huge amount of energy, and I stayed up until 5, I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't go to sleep until 5 a.m., and then I crashed, and then I didn't feel very good. And, uh, in fact, I really even thought, okay, I did all of this, and I wrote all this out, and now she knows this about me. And uh, I'm not sure if I really like that. And I thought, well, you know, I could actually throw this book away and never go to a meeting again and just pretend the whole thing never happened. Because I didn't really want to do the work of working through the defects and letting them go. I mean... That whole, you know, it's like for me, I'm just afraid. I'm just a person ruled by fear. So, you know, you make it through one step, you're afraid of the next step. So for me, you know, when I was planning my wedding, I was so afraid to send those invitations. And I thought, oh, as long as soon as I send the invitations, then it will all be easy. No, no, as soon as those invitations went in the mail, oh, I'm so afraid of this. Oh, I'm so afraid. You know, really, even the morning of the wedding, you know, it was like, oh, my God, can I really do this? You know, so I'm just a person that, yeah, just is ruled by fear. And, uh, but anyway, so I did it. And, but then I called her up. And uh, she's like, well, you know, you're still here. And I think the thing that year that was the most amazing thing is that nothing in my life changed that spring except for doing this. And actually, I think I, I, think I did this in February or March. I know I did it before we got to April. So I remember that spring... I had, there was a woman in, in the program that I called every day and would just chat with every single day. And she really noticed that about two months later, all my problems that I had been calling her about over and over and over again kind of all disappeared. You know, and, and nothing in my life changed. Like, you know, I still lived in the same place. I still had the same boyfriend. I still had, you know, I was still in school. I still had the same job. I mean, like facts didn't change, but the way I felt about the facts changed. And I remember feeling a lot less in bondage to, um, to myself. You know, I felt just like one step freer. And um, it was a really powerful thing, you know. And then, you know, I worked through six and seven, and then by June I was on nine, and then my plan kind of fell apart. It took me 18 months to do my nine steps, so, you know, I didn't get it all done in 1997. And then I remember thinking, when I did all this stuff, I was like, great, I never have to do that again. Well, no, I've done about five, you know, I think I just, yeah, I just did the steps again, but it was like my fifth time. And so, you know, I've never really wanted to sit down and do a four-step. God knows. I never have. But I do it, and I feel better. I really do. So how much time do I have? Okay. 
So in my last three minutes, I think I'll just um, just tell you just kind of what's going on now. So I've been in the program for 14 years, and uh, I've been abstinent for 10 of those continuously. Um, it took me a long time just to get abstinent, more than two years. And I redefined my food last summer, and so I'm on, uh, yeah, I'm on a food plan again that I really like, actually. I really like my food plan. And I write down my food the night before, so I don't have to think about it the next day. And I just eat what I say I'm going to eat. And and so that's been a relief. It's really taken away a lot of the, um, I think, of the turmoil. I Some of the turmoil that I had. You know, I never thought I would be um, a low-carb person. I never wanted to do that. But it just turned out that that was what I needed to do, and so I did it. And So all these things that I ne- never really wanted to do, um, have been good for me, you know. So sometimes I don't know what's good for me. And right now, I'm not, yeah, I'm not very uh, happy, joyous, and free. I was telling my husband, I said, yeah, you know, the HJF uh, ratio here is, is a little low for me right now. Um, so I'm going through a really difficult job thing, and I know I need to let go. I know I need to let go. I know I need to do that. And I just keep clinging like glue. And so maybe one day soon, it, it will either be taken from me or I will let go, you know, one or the other. I just And so I'm working through that process, and, uh, and uh, you know, I go to meetings, and uh, I sponsor people, and uh, I do writing and phone calling, and, and uh, it's just been a good ride. And so just to wrap up, I'm just going to say in just one second, you know, I was talking with my husband. He said, well, maybe in 10 years this will, this will happen or this will happen or this will happen. And I thought to myself when he was saying that, you know, I think we like to be able to think we can predict the future. But frankly, 10 years ago, if you told me I would be here today doing the things I'm doing, I could never have predicted any of it, any of it. I really could never have predicted it. You know, I never knew that I would move out of San Francisco. I never knew that I would get married. I never knew that, you know, I I would still continue to have painful relationships with my family. But, you know, I'm still there. I... I would never have known that I could hold down a job for 12 years. I never knew that I could ask people for references and they they would give me them. So it's been a good ride. It's been a good ride. So I'm here for the duration, just reporting in. So thanks. Thank you, Molly. Let's hear it for Molly again. Okay, for the remainder of the meeting, we're going to have, uh, the speakers are going to answer the uh, ask it basket question. So, can we have a basket uh, questions? Okay. First question. How did you choose the person you gave your fifth step to? For me, it was really, uh, uh, for me, it was really easy. I, uh, for both times that um, I've done my fourth step, I gave it to my sponsor, um, and it was to different people the first time and the second time. Um, and um, I really, uh, you know, I, I I trusted both of them. I was comfortable. Um, I was comfortable talking to both of them, and um, it was an it was an easy choice. Um, one of the things uh, for giving it away, uh, my uh, my second time. 
um, was that um, I was just so, I was, and this is definitely a benefit of doing the fourth and fifth step, um, I was just so much more comfortable with my defects and of giving them away. So then when we were going through stuff and, and I would say one and then we get to my part and my sponsor would say, that's ego. And I'd be like, okay. Instead of being, you know, all in, all embarrassed and, and hard on myself about it. So, um. Okay. What is the best way you found to work the fourth step? Thank you. Well, I think I said the first the first way I did it was the easiest way was the big book with the four columns. But since then, I think it's been easier for me to use workbooks or do writing. You know, kind of just looking at at different topics and what ails me, um, and just letting kind of the questions and the answers more of the questions just come from within. So I just do a lot of free-form writing, and, uh, and that's been helpful. Okay. How similar is your 10-step practice to the 4-step, 5-step process through the big book? Uh, okay. Got that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I haven't really done a formal 10th step in a really long time. I was just thinking about that. Oh, well, I guess because I was going to talk on the 4th and 5th step. Um, if I were doing it, um, it would be very similar. It would be, you know, the way, uh, it would be the way that I, that I did the 4th the and 5th the step. There are, you know, there are, there are the ways I, for a while I did the, um, Every night I would email to my sponsor in A-E-I-O-U. Um, so uh, was I abstinent that day? Um, did I exercise? Um, oh, I for I, me. Uh, and we took that to be uh, what did I do for my program that day? Um, oh, what did I do for others? Um, you, what did I un- uncover about myself? Which um, was really great because it really made me think about it every single day. Um, and then, um, like a why, Yahoo, like something good that happened that day. So uh, that's definitely one way to go about it. But um, in my head, if I'm really working a, uh, if I'm really like working diligently, I would do it the fourth and fifth step way. Oh yeah. Um, was I abstinent? Um, did I exercise? Um, I. Uh, what did I do for my program that day? Oh, what did I do for others? Uh, you, what did I uncover about myself? And then a, a Yahoo. Yeah. How do you know that you are ready to honestly do step five? Well, I guess, I mean, I guess the key word there is honest. I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't know who wrote this, but, I mean, maybe the concern is that you get in there and you keep stuff back or maybe not tell the whole truth. I don't, I don't know. But um, um, I, think I, I think I wanted to get better, and part of the book says you, know, you need to be honest. So 
I think that, and, and, and so I was kind of schooled in that thing where if you keep one thing back, you could eat over it again. And I didn't want to eat over anything again. And plus, I really never wanted to sit down and do this stuff with somebody again. You know what I mean? I didn't want to have to come back and revisit stuff. Um, so I wanted to be thorough the first time, like get the thing over and done. I mean, that's how I approached it then. Um, so it wasn't, so for me, you know, when I had the date with my sponsor and I sat down with her, I just did it. And I just told her those things on that list. And you know what? I lived through it. I think a lot of this program, what I found out, like, for, so for instance, you know, two weeks ago when I went and talked to 10 people in a week and asked for references and had a story of, you know, about what I needed to do and why and, and listen to them, you know, tell me why they would give me one. Um, you know, it's like, it's like I didn't know if I could live through that process, but I did. And that's, that's a lot of my recovery. You know, I don't know if I can live through this stuff. And then I find out that I do it, and I do live. And then I'm stronger for the next time. So um, I just think I was ready. I know in 1997 I was in a lot of pain, and I wanted to succeed at school, and I was ready. I was just ready to do it. So thanks. I, I want to say something on that too. Um, oh, honestly, is underlined. Mm, that's not the way I had interpreted it in my head. Well, I'll tell you what I was thinking anyway. One of the, the uh, one of the things for me with my perfectionism was, in terms of getting it done, was um, you know worrying about am I getting absolutely everybody? Am I getting absolutely everything? I wanted I want to do this. I want to get rid of get rid of all the bad stuff. I want to get it done. So, um, so obviously I had to put that aside and realize I could, you know, go back later on. But um, once I got to the uh, gone for all the people, because I did it by, you know, groups of people, and once, because uh, in the big book it says, it also mentions institutions. So once I got to the end and um, I was like, I'm resentful at clothing stores for not stocking enough cute outfits for big people. Um, and once I kind of got to that section, I, I knew, uh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to give it over. I think I'm about done. So. Okay, have you had the same old defects reappearing again and again? even after being willing to have them removed? Heck yeah. Um, um, oh my gosh, absolutely. And I'll say it for like the millionth time, perfectionism and then also people-pleasing, two of my um, biggest, baddest um, character defects, see them all, all, all the time. Um, I guess one of the positive things is that um, sometimes it gets a little less frustrated, frustrating seeing them because um, I, I'm just getting more used to it. Oh yeah, that's right. Because I'm a people pleaser, it gets me. It, it lets me um, kind of accept myself and forgive myself a little more. The, the more I can can see it and accept it in myself, kind of the better I can live my life. Um, I, I had a thought actually a few months ago in a meeting, I think of sharing, and then it came to me while I was sharing that um, that, the, that the defects that I am um, so frustrated about and so angry with myself about and that I so much want to get rid of, that I have so much emotion around them, that that's part of why it's hard for me to, to give them up um, and that if I, can, if I can accept them and be like, 
okay, this is who I am. It is okay. I can ask God again to um, take this, take these things from me that um, I'm better off. Because I think the more, um, you know, emotion and hatred and uh, resentment that I, I, I put on myself for having them, the, the more I'm going to continue to have them. You know, what what I found interesting about the fourth step is that, you know, when I did the columns and I saw patterns about myself come up over and over, and those patterns are, are what I what I saw to be my defects. And then I wrote out the list of defects, and I worked a sixth step around those. And I'm looking at all these defects. Like, for, you know, for me, the, the ones that came up the first time were really actionable. You know, okay, gossip, don't gossip. You know, these actual ones. But, you know... When I continued to work four steps, they became more internal, like I hate myself, you know. Well, then the opposite would be to love yourself, but it's not so actionable like just stop gossiping, you know. It's, there's more inner work needed to overcome that stuff. And, and so, I, you know, I learned, you know, somewhat how to do that. But I think for me, you know, what was interesting to me on my first four step is that I thought one of my defects was being lazy because I had been told often that I was lazy. I had been told I was a flake. I had been told a lot of things that, frankly, just weren't true. And I find that now I know why people called me lazy because I didn't do what they wanted me to do. And then they would call me lazy. And I would feel guilty. Um, but the fact is, I don't, I don't have a lazy bone in my body. Laziness has never come up for me in the 14 years I've been in recovery, no matter what. But, um, you know, like feeling worthless, that's a defect that I have, and that comes up from time to time, especially when I'm in times of high stress. So right now my company's going through a major restructuring, and it's been just a very difficult process for me to go to, very uncertain. So there are defects that I thought were gone. Like, for instance, I really thought that I had overcome a fear of financial insecurity, and I'm in it again. I'm scared of finances now again. And I know that, you know, it's really just my thinking that I will be taken care of. It's just, oh, it's just a big pull. You know, or for instance, you know, gossiping. You know, gossiping was my number one defect when I came into this program. And it's greatly improved, but in times of stress, like during this restructuring, that'll come up and I'll have to remind myself, oh, yeah, you know, you, you don't gossip. So, you know, you might think, a million things about what's going on, but, you know, maybe just for today, don't say it. Um, you know, complaining. One thing I looked at here was, you know, being overly helpful. I had written that down. I err on the side of way too much responsibility, and that has definitely come up, you know, in the past year in my work. You know, that I feel, I feel very responsible for things that I have absolutely no control over. None. And I can help people that, frankly, don't deserve being helped. And I do that, you know, to protect myself. Um, and so, you know, whatever. But, you know, when I first wrote this inventory in 1997, I didn't have a job. I had never made more than $9 an hour. I didn't own anything. You know, I, you know, I didn't even, I mean, I maybe had three outfits to wear. You know what I mean? Like, my life was substantially different than it is today. I mean, today I do have financial responsibilities. You know, I am married. You know, I do show up for work. I mean, it's a whole different ball game, but those core things can can still control me at times, especially times of high stress.
right, we have a two-part question here, or two questions. Uh, first is, is it necessary to really dredge up all of the deep feelings and pain of the past while doing step four? That's the first part. <laughs> Second part is, how does doing a fifth step differ from Catholic confession? So. Um, is it necessary to really judge up all the deep feelings and pain of the past? Um, yes? Um, you know, I guess it's it's going to be, um, you know, ultimately you're going to do, ultimately you're going to do whatever you're comfortable doing. I mean, no, no one is, no one is going to know if you don't do it. If if there are things that you, I guess two things. One, if if you're not ready to talk about something, then um, you will be able to later on. This this isn't um, it's not this isn't your only opportunity to grow and to learn and to um, to make your life better. Um, if there's a reason why um, you're not bringing up something, then uh, you know you can ask God about it. Uh, you know. When I was expressing to my sponsor the first time around, um, you know, I'm worried that I'm not going to be, remember everything. I'm not going to put everything down. It's not going to be as thorough and fearless as it could be. Um, and she said, just ask God to to help you write it. And then, you know, how can you go wrong? So um, I'd say, uh, you know, pray about it. Ask God about it. Write down whatever, uh, write down whatever you're willing to, and um, it'll all work out. And it's not your only opportunity. Um, to do it. Um, and how does a fifth step differ from Catholic confession? Um, I'm Jewish, so I don't know. Um, so, I, no, like, literally. So. <laughs> you know, I think for me, when I came into the program and I saw that there was a substantially a difference between the people who had done the steps and people who hadn't. Like, the people who did the steps had a fighting chance and were staying abstinent a lot longer than people who weren't. And so I could clearly see that. I could clearly see the effect of doing the steps. I didn't want to do it, okay? I just didn't, but I was willing to do it because I could see that effect. So I didn't think about it too much at first. You know, I just did what my sponsor said and what the book said. Um, but looking, but, but when I got to step 12, I could kind of see how the whole thing fit together. And yeah, I think it is necessary. I do. Because I think I think what they say is true that you know I think abstinence obviously you know is very is necessary but I really think I had a sponsor once say it was only the first ten percent and I kind of think that you know it's the base but there's a lot more that needs to be done because I don't think if I had done this stuff I would have gone back to eating in fact part of the reason why I've done multiple steps is because there were points in my life where I knew that if I didn't look at something that I knew was there nagging me, that I would go back to eating and that I wouldn't go forward, you know, and I would go backward. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it's pretty necessary. Um, so I'm a person that never wanted to look, the, look, at them, look, look at themselves or, you know, confess anything, frankly, and I'm not Catholic. But, um, and I'm in a religion that... Um, that's very, I, I think it's very different from Catholicism. But I was actually going to a meeting at um, this, uh, this Catholic student union at UC Berkeley, the Newman Center. 
And I remember seeing all these people standing in line, like waiting to go uh, into what they, they don't call it confession anymore, they call it reconciliation. But I thought to myself, that wouldn't be bad. You know, that just wouldn't be a bad process. You know, it's kind of it's kind of nice to, um, it was really good for me to get a lot of this stuff off my chest. I'll just say that. So, um, yeah, so I don't know if it's different or not. I'm not Catholic, but I think any time where you can go tell the truth to somebody, I mean, I think it's a good thing. So, thanks. Katie, <clears throat> how do you deal with finally addressing the deepest, most painful character defects and demystifying them? How did you deal with finally addressing the deepest, most painful character defects and demystifying them? I think it. Okay, how did you deal with finally addressing the deepest, most painful character defects and demystifying them? Um, the, I guess the thing that's coming to me as I read this actually is a really good lesson for me is that um, the, 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 top, the, the top line way of addressing them is asking um, God to remove them. So I'm not... You know, so many times it's such a fine line between um, what am I letting go and what is the footwork. You know, when am I supposed to be, you know, stepping back and when am I supposed to be actually doing something about it and what is it am I actually supposed to be doing. Um, in this instance, um, you know, remembering to ask, you know, first thing, remembering to ask, to talk to God about it. Um, can you... Um, Here's my defect. Please relieve me of it. I can't think of the seventh step uh, prayer right now, but um, demystifying them. Um, something with what I said before with, uh, you know, the more I see them in my life, um, the easier it, it does become for me to accept that that's who I am and that that's okay. Um, acceptance is one of those things that I'm really uh, I'm trying to think about a lot. And, you know, page 449 in, I can't remember which edition of the big book, which is in the story that talks about um, acceptance um, is the answer to all of my problems today. Um, so accepting that that's who I am right now and and, ask, and saying to God, only with your help um, can I change. You know, I think for, I think for me, you know, you know, looking back at this list, I think I had a lot of feelings about the list when I first wrote it, but now they don't seem that bad, actually. You know, defects that I have, you know, haven't really been that bad. Um, but I think, you know, one of, I, you know, this is, this is the hardest truth for me. This is the thing I, I like least about myself that I had to admit, is that I can be complicit, completely complicit with horrible things so that I don't get hurt. You know, it's like, um, you know, and I, I even remember writing this book. Um, you know, if I lived, I mean, we live in a free and open society right here. But I was thinking if I live in a country with an evil dictator, I mean, I would be the kind of person that would be repressing everybody else so the evil dictator wouldn't hurt me. You know, I don't think I would ever, you know, be in the resistance or, you know, kind of, 
you know, fighting the system. I would be the system. And that's what I hate about myself the most, I think. But I know why I do it. And, uh, and when I see it happening, when I see myself doing stuff like that, you know, um, yeah, it really gives me pause. And a lot of times the pause is long enough where I can turn around and do something differently because I do have a lot of courage and, and I don't just go along with anything. Um, I think that's what helps me keep my integrity. But that is at my core. So, um, I don't know. I know that's, that's a little different than just gossiping or hating yourself, but, um, but that's the thing that, that I really, I think, at my core, I have to guard against, and uh, that definitely comes out of my past. So, um, but, you know, the rest of it, not that bad, really. Um, and you can always change. I think that's the thing that I, that's the thing that frightened me the most, that what if I uncovered all this stuff and I couldn't change? And the truth is I can change. We can all change. You know, and this stuff shows how. And it's not going to be overnight. And I remember after I covered my list, uncovered my list and tried to do something about it, you know, I just found myself in the same actions and actions and actions. And then one day they were gone, you know, but it took a lot of practice. And it really took a lot of vigilance, you know, not to, to live another way. And it took, it took a lot of courage. Um, but, you know, we can all do it. You know, there's so many people in this room that I'm, you know, I'm looking around and I know so many people here who have done it. And uh, so really, you know, it's completely doable. Okay, just a couple more questions. Uh, how do you take a fearless moral inventory? And the comment is, I feel... Uh, continual anxiety as I write step four. Fearless. How to be fearless about it. Um, continual anxiety as I write step four. Um, I guess in general, um, for any uh, for any situations where one will feel anxious. Um, here are the things I guess here are the things we can do now that we have our now that we have our program we can um, we can ask God to help us um, we can just ask we can ask before we meditate we can write it down and put it in our God box um, we can share about it um, in a meeting um, that'll not only uh, help us but you know, sharing, you know, is being of service and always helps someone else. You can actually say during your share, um, I am um, I'm having trouble doing my fourth step. I'm very anxious about it. You will get, you can ask for feedback from, from your fellows. Um, and you're giving them a chance, you, you're going to get good ideas and um, you give your fellows a chance to be of service also. Um, And then uh, one uh, one resentment at a time, one resentment at a time. And um, I know that some people, I when I sat down to do it, I just I didn't. I know lots of people who would need to um, prescribe, a, you know, a certain amount of time, a certain amount of times a week, like maybe five minutes each day, or you know, maybe something, maybe some structure like that would be helpful. I just kind of sat down um, and did it in blocks, but. Um, Maybe if you know that you're only going to do one uh, one resentment a day and that's it, um, that would be helpful. But 
But again, um, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, it's, it's always good to ask uh, for God to help. I, I know that whenever I do, that I, I know that I have to trust that everything's going to be okay. Okay, last, last question, and we're just about out of time. So, how do you work the fourth and fifth uh, in your daily life, example, over something happening right now? Well, I know, know somebody else wrote a, you know, a question on the tenth step. So, you know, the tenth step's kind of like a mini four and five, you know. There's a lot of forms you can do that tenth step in. And so I write most nights and I call, call people most days and, you know, I share with sponsors and I go to meetings. Um, so that's kind of how I do it right now. I think, I think it's really, I think it's really, really up for me right now because my job situation is so hard. So, you know, it's taken a lot more reflection for me to know um, what to do about that. And so basically, I mean, I just did a full-blown four-step in another program and did this stuff in another program over that job situation. So, you know, this is a thing. Um, you can do it like in small ways or you can just do it again. You know, it, but it's a tool, right? It's just a tool in the toolkit that you get to use. So I kind of, you know, I kind of think about, you know, all the tools, like the tools of the program and kind of this toolbox. And, uh, you know, when I need a tune-up, I can just open it up and take whatever tool is appropriate and use it. So it's, it's like a, you know, the definitely a 12-step program is a very living program, and you can use any of those tools anytime you need it. It is now time to close. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service. Okay, please stand and join hands as we close with the OA promise. I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we can never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for our power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Keep coming back. It works.